Good morning, church. How are you? Uh, who is just so like overwhelmed at the reality that God's promises still stand? Can we give the Lord just a hand clap of praise for that? Oh, that his promises still stand, irregardless of how we feel or what we know or what we're in the middle of. God's promises are yes and what? Amen. Every single time. I, that just really touched my heart as we sang those songs to the Lord. Just, uh, just, I just rejoice in him and his presence here among us. And if you are gathering somewhere online, you miss the gathering when you're not here because these times are, are precious and few really in the span of a life. Um, so I, I want to uh, just invite you just to say welcome, you know, to church and all of that, but also just kind of be welcome back to a conversation we've been having for a while around this idea of holy expectancy. Holy expectancy we've talked about from different perspectives, and we're talking about how a life of faith is one of expectancy, how God, it's really in, just interwoven through the whole process of faith that God wants us to see and to believe, and God wants us to, even in our seasons of doubt, which we talked about last week, that we can go to the Lord and go to the Lord's people, and the Lord will give us the answers we need, and if he doesn't give us the answers that we need, we just need to keep pressing in until he gives us the answers or until those answers really don't matter anymore, and eventually one of those two realities Happens. One of the things that I found this week uh, when I was searching the internet, actually I, I saw this on Karen's page. Uh, so sorry, Karen, news, news flash, this is news for you. But this is something, there was a lot of interaction with the, with the church community through this particular thing that you posted. And I, I would love to say it was like this super spiritual Bible verse and like it was just like this overwhelming move of the Spirit. But it was not. It was not that at all. As a matter of fact, it was a TikTok video that got shared. And I, I just want you to know there's a lot of question about, about Pez this week. And I want to dispel any... I got the Chewbacca because the only other one was Little, it was little Kitty, uh, or Hello Kitty, rather. So I, it was obvious which one I was going to go with. Uh, it's fully loaded for anyone who would actually like one just so you know. But there was this little TikTok video, and I just want you to know up front it's a scam. The video is a scam. Many of you are like, does it work? It doesn't work. So here's how, here's how the, the video went through, and it was very well done. I mean, 12, like 12.5 million views well done. Kind of, it was this well done. The scam was this, that you can actually put Pez inside, you can put the Pez uh, candies inside by just like going up through the bottom and the video again. It's like you press on it and you lift this up and you take it back down. You actually can't because this thing would actually prohibit anything from going there. So it's just a little video magic, but it got everybody uh, thinking that that's possible. And some people um, actually went out and, and marketed me. Uh, so there you go. Um, but, but I do want to tie this into what we're talking about today because I, I have to because this is an awkward moment of like, why in the world would you bring this up? So I'm going to make Chewbacca look at you and you better be on your best behavior for the rest of the day. Um, but I, I want you to know this. Sometimes when we go to the Lord in prayer, we actually treat the Lord kind of like how we treat a Pez dispenser. We just think, well, if I put into it, that's fine. And I can just go to the Lord and I can just take out something. I can just pray 
And then I just, I go to the Lord when I want, and I can neglect the Lord when I want, and I can just, whatever, it's there when I need it. But then I can just go back and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for a little morsel of prayer, an answered prayer, and moving on. And sometimes we, we kind of treat our prayer life like that. If we treat our prayer life like that, where we just go to the Lord, what we're doing is we're actually treating the Lord as if, treating, to, treating prayer, rather, as if prayer is, just, is simply a transaction. When I go to the Lord, the Lord gives me something. And what we're going to see ultimately as we read this passage in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, and we have some other supporting passages, is where we're going to see that prayer is not transactional, prayer is relational. Prayer is, is not transactional, it's relational. This is what God wants. God did not create us to be robots, he created us to be human beings that he would dwell with us and that he would he would have a, a, his life poured into our life so that we would commune with God in a special, special way. So Matthew 7, 7 through 8 is going to be our main passage. And this is what Jesus said in the greatest sermon ever preached. So if you expected this to be the greatest sermon ever preached, sorry, it's already been preached. This is the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. Everything else pales in comparison. But verse 7 of Matthew 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. We're actually going to continue on in this passage, but we're just going to call this the main passage for right now. What's really interesting about this is if you simply look at this from a, a, a self-centered kind of perspective, we could see this is simply a transaction. Well, if I ask, the Lord's going to give. If I seek, He's, he's going to help me find. If I knock, then this. And it's almost like, the, like this partnership with God, but it's really more us than God. Ultimately, prayer is a beautiful and wonderful thing. But what we're going to see, it's more compelling than what we thought. The reason why we, we like that little Pez video is because all of us, we thought we'd been doing something wrong since we were kids. And we thought somebody had a new answer to what we didn't even realize was a problem. That we had to put all the Pez into the Pez dispenser one by one. And oh my goodness, why didn't somebody tell me about this shortcut a long time ago? In life, you know, we talk about prayer. We're not talking about, oh my goodness, there's not going to be anything today that's like earth shattering that you probably haven't heard before. It isn't like here's some shortcut to life. It isn't like what Jesus is saying here is he's not saying, hey, wow, here is the way to have everything that your heart desires, irregardless if those desires are wrong. Ultimately, what Jesus is talking about, he says, this is not a, a new way. This is not like new material. He says, no, if you, if you ask for a relationship with me, you're going to have that. If you seek me with your whole heart, you're going to find me. And if you persistently knock and prevail in prayer, I will answer. But again, it's not transactional. It's relational. I'll summarize it with the bottom line for today. It's this. We ask for what we desire. We seek for what we miss. And we knock for that thing that we feel locked out of. Isn't this true? This is not rocket science, is it? We ask for what we desire. We seek for that what we miss. And that we knock for that thing that we feel locked out of. 
This is what Jesus is trying to help us to understand. The prayer is, is not transactional. Prayer is relational. That he, he wants us to commune with him and out of that, he wants us to have a life of flourishing with him and not separate from him. You could say it in this way, the more time that you spend with God, the more that God's desires become your desires. The more time that you spend with God, the more that your desires will be his desires. Said even a completely different way, a Christian increasingly wants what God wants. If you wanna look for a gauge of your spiritual maturity, you could ask yourself the question, do I want what God wants? Or am I simply asking God to give me what I want in the container of my life? Or instead, have I blown up the container of my life and I simply want the life of Christ embodied in me and exuding out of me? You see, when we view prayer as a relational thing, understanding that the life of Christ is embedded in dwelling in us and then flowing through us, it ultimately will help shape what we ask for and help shape what we seek. And it'll also help us to keep knocking in prayer and prevailing in prayer and to be fervent, fervent in prayer, even through rough times. Matthew 26, 39 says this, yet not as I will, but as you will. In the words of our Lord, yet not as I will, but as you will. Because when a Christian increasingly wants what God wants, that means that that Christian is becoming more like Christ. You know, yesterday I had the opportunity to go do some saltwater fishing in, in its well known that I'm not that much of a fisherman. So I had a lot of help. And not only saltwater fishing, but we were going shark fishing. Here's the interesting thing about sharks. They have teeth. Did anyone notice that? I missed that. I like Shark Week and I thought it was all made up. I watched Jaws as a kid. As a kid, right? I, I, I get it. It's, it's an older movie. Use at your uh, view at your discretion and for your children as well. Um, they give you nightmares and stuff, of course. They have teeth and they have tails and they're like, they're kind of intense. They don't even have to be the same size as Jaws. They can be a lot smaller. I caught like Baby Shark. That was, the little, that was a little shout out to you with little ones. Baby Shark, I caught Baby Shark. A couple of them yesterday actually. Brought them on the boat and then some big sharks. And then I don't know how, how like big in the lifespan of these sharks, but they were a lot bigger than what I was comfortable with. But here's the interesting thing. Um, so we, we went out and we were actually out there for sharks. We, we caught some other stuff too, but we fully expected to go out there finding some sharks. And Dennis and Austin were our fearful, fearless leaders out on the water and showing us. We had a great time. We went out on the water and we just had, had a blast and we caught a lot of fish. But what we did was we set ourselves up ahead of time to catch fish. We went in with the full expectancy that we were going to catch fish. Now, anyone who's ever gone fishing, they know that it is called fishing and not catching. So there's that little anomaly. 
But we went in with a full expectancy that we were going to do our part. And then if we did our part and prepared that, that we would, we would indeed catch some fish. But that expectancy doesn't mean that we just kind of plopped out there and just expected God to do everything. We did our part. We, we went and got our bait fish and we prepared our hooks and, and they prepared the hooks that I broke. And they, they did some other stuff to help me along the way, a lot of things to help me actually. But we still went in with the full expectancy that, that we were going to catch fish. But we also did our part. If we're going to live a life of expectancy with God, there, there is this process that is relationally based that we need to do things that make us stay connected to God relationally. So there is a part for us to play in that that, that builds into this expectancy. This morning when I was reviewing this, this talk, this thought just overwhelmed my heart and mind is this. So many times we live with expectancy that God would do something, but you want to have your, your just mind blown. Think of this. Think of how many times the God is expecting us to do something. Instead of being so self-centered to say, God, I expect you. Instead, I wonder how many times God is like, no, I expect you. I expect you to obey. You have the Holy Spirit of God within you. Why, why don't, I expect you to do that thing. I expect you to love your neighbor. I expect you to stay married. I expect you to raise those kids. I expect you to stay at work. I expect you to evangelize. I expect you to love your wife. I expect you to love your, your husband. I expect you to, to go out and to, to be a part of the community of faith. I expect you to show up at church. I expect that. I expect you to, to go into this not out of exhaustion because you just wore yourself out the day before that you go into the Sunday gathering just feeling overwhelmed and just welcoming of other people and welcomed to, to be in the presence and power of God. I wonder how many times God is expecting us to do something and yet we sit selfishly expecting God to do everything. This, this idea of prayer being relational how many of the relationships do you have in your life? Or how is it that relationships work? Relationships don't just work with one person doing all the work, does it? You won't have that relationship very long. Because if you're the person who's doing all the work, eventually you're going to get tired building that relationship. And you're either going to go seek some help, some counseling, some therapy, or something more drastic. So we just know this to be true. Relationships, it isn't just a one-sided thing. In a relationship with God isn't either that we just, we have to, to cultivate that relationship within our own heart. Because this is the thing that's going to help us to have expectancy. The key to expectancy is ask. Is ask. Is ask. Because as God wants to relate with us, he wants to commune with us. The key is ask. We ask for that, what we desire. We seek for what we miss. And we knock for that thing that we feel locked out of. Ask. I'll break it down very simply in this way. There's three takeaways right from this passage. The first one is ask with simplicity. Ask with simplicity. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. 
So you ask with simplicity. In my younger years of being a follower of Jesus, my first real Bible that I had was this really thick study Bible. It wasn't a Thomas Kincaid-like family Bible, but it was close. And I had this epic Bible cover. I know some of you have Bible covers. Rock those Bible covers. I love it. It's great. It holds all your stuff, your notes, your pens, your pencils, your highlighters. That's awesome. Like a phone book, it holds it all. I get it. I get it. Some of you are like, what's a phone book? Stick with me. I know I'm old, but, but it's all right. Like I, ha- I had this, this full-on huge Bible, and I was so excited about that Bible, and I thought that this is just what everybody had. After all, I mean, I'd gone to the Family Christian Bookstore, let you know how, old that, or how long ago that's been, and I was in awe. I went to a bookstore that was just like dedicated toward like Christian stuff. Had a whole wall of Bibles, of which that was a really big deal, especially really early in my walk, and it was just, God was just showing me so many different things. But unfortunately, what also came through that was a prayer life that felt like I needed to kind of like church up my prayers instead of just having, you know, I had the Bible and I had all that with, the, with this amazing Alpine Green uh, Bible cover with, the, with a, a Bible verse on the front of it. And I, I had this thought that that's just what it looked like. And then I'd been around other church people who didn't pray like communal, just like normal conversation kind of prayers they were all kind of like flighty high and lofty and churchy and bible verse woven in and out and I thought it was like a secret language like if you, you know have you ever been in that prayer circle like the, with the per- raise your hand if you've been in the prayer circle you're like and you're like I can't even compete with this person like they they either have like a direct line to God or they're not even praying to God at all I don't even know like there's just some breakdown here that it's just really rocked my world But unfortunately, that's what I thought it was because I'd been around church people and I thought you just pray churchy prayers. And I thought the more churchy prayer, the more effective prayer because the more churchy prayer means maybe I know a little bit more and then I started mimicking other people. But you can have a really churchy prayer and still be far from God. You can have a really churchy prayer and actually not even be communicating to God at all. I have this this on-again, off-again relationship And I feel like this is a good, safe place to talk about this relationship. It's with journaling. And so for years, I would like journal, and it was great, and I'd fill a journal. And then for years, I wouldn't own a journal. And then I would come back to it, and I would buy a journal thinking, if I buy a journal, I'm going to use this joker. And then I would not use that journal anymore, and then it would go on a shelf, and I don't look around. I know, I know. Some of you, I'm like, this is my story, not yours, so don't, don't take my thunder. I know, this is kind of the way it is, and, but, but now I'm in a season of journaling again, and what's so refreshing is, and if you know me, I'm very much like a list person, a bullet point person. Like, if it's worth doing or saying, it's worth saying or doing in an outline form. That's just me, and that's not really that great as far as like a method of prayer so now I'm back into journaling again 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 and and it's so refreshing because I found a newfound freedom to just write and I write whatever's on my heart instead of instead of like churching up those prayers in my journal so if it's in my mind I just write it down because after all God already knows what's in my mind so if if I put it down on a paper that's okay and it's been so liberating for my mind and my heart. And in, the other day, and I was actually talking to Dennis about this recently, but I had this 
this morning and I was just overwhelmed. I'd been sitting in the scripture and I was just, you know, I really didn't know what to pray. And I've had all these things swirling in our home life and just a lot of changes, things happening right now. And I was just a little overwhelmed and emotional like I was during our first song today. And, and I, my whole journal entry was, not my will be done, but yours. And that's all I needed to say. That's all I needed to say. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was feeling. That's what I was needing. That's what God wanted of me. You see, when we ask with simplicity, you're setting aside all those churchy prayers and you're just being real. I love what Thomas Merton said. He said, God is far too real to be met anywhere than in reality. God is far more real, far too real to be met anywhere than in reality. Isn't that refreshing that we can ask with simplicity, that it doesn't have to be these high and lofty and churchy prayers to be heard by God, that God knows the, he knows the quake of our heart. He knows, he knows the things that's in our mind and he loves us the same. God is far too real for us not to connect with him in reality and for him to connect with us in reality. You see, we can expect good things from God. Let's go back to our passage, Matthew 7. We're going to continue reading verse 9 through 11. And I love how Jesus explains this. And he explains prayer in such a way that just brings to us just a heart of relationship, the relationship that God wants us to have with him. This is what verse 9 says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. Jesus says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? What is, what is he saying there? He says, as a, as a parent, as a good parent, and as a good father, as a great father that he is, our heavenly father, what he's saying is, he's going to give you what you need, not always what you want. But there's an invitation. Because notice how Jesus dials this in. He says, if a son asks for bread, will a father give him stone? That would be cruel, would it not? It's if he asks for bread. And I, I thought about this in, in a really practical way. Marla and I had a conversation this week and we were talking about kids opening gifts, either at Christmas or a birthday. And, you know, as parents, we, we try and we've always tried to, to really show out and like get good gifts for our kids, right? That's what parents do. I mean, who, who does that? You're like, you try and get good gifts for your kids, right? If you don't have your hand up, you're a terrible parent. I'm just kidding. No, you're not. You're not. You're probably asleep, but that's okay. But you're awake now because people are laughing and you're wondering why you're not. So here we go. We're moving on. So Marla and I were having this conversation. It's like we would, you know, every year we would like try and get the, a great, like this epic gift at Christmas or birthday. And when our kids were younger, like we would have so much of an expectation, like this is what this is going to, we're going to be winning as parents. Like we're just going to be, we're going to be like parenting magazine material here. This is just going to be awesome. 
And then, and then when our kids would open the gifts, they would take the gift out and they would set it next to the box and then they would spend the next 30 minutes playing with the peanuts or the box that it came in. There's nothing more overwhelming as a parent. And we thought, why in the world did I just spend this $100 on this pile of junk when I literally could have gone and I could have gotten a box, thrown in the middle of the floor, some circus peanuts and said, for the next half hour, this is yours. Hey, Merry Christmas. Enjoy it. Happy birthday. Right? We've all had those things. But on the other side of that, we've, we've also had those times where we were able to get the right gift for our kid. And it was one they always wanted. We're not always able to do this. And as the kids get older, the wants get more expensive. Newsflash, just so you know. What what you may be purchasing in diapers now, you're going to be purchasing in other things later, so it doesn't necessarily get less expensive. But it's amazing then as a parent when you actually dial it in and you're able to get them what they want. And watching your child enjoy the gift that you were able to buy for them that they were really, really wanted. That's a great feeling as a parent. I think that's the way God feels, but like on level 10, every time he answers our prayer, that he's like, I gave him a good gift as a perfect heavenly father, to be able to look at his kids here on earth and say, oh, bless you, my child. I was able to give you what you wanted. I was able to give you what you needed. You were struggling through this season. You prayed. You asked for healing. I brought healing. You prayed and you were struggling financially and you prayed and you got to the end of yourself and, and you asked me and, and although maybe the, the way that those finances came through were unexpected, you, didn't, you weren't even thinking that it would come through like that. But I bet God is, is so overwhelmed with his own gratitude and his own glory when, in those moments where he shines through and he actually is able to give us the gifts that we, that we want and that we need. Because isn't that what a good parent would do? certainly what a good father would do. And even if you had a good parent, you didn't have a perfect parent. And even if you didn't even have a father that was present in your life, you can have a heavenly father to enjoy the rest of your life. So you ask with simplicity. The second thing is you seek with intensity. You seek with intensity. Verse 7, main passage, not only did Jesus say, ask and it will be given to you, and then he says, seek and you will find. I'm one of those odd people, I think I'm kind of odd in this way, if I lose or misplace anything, the world stops until I find that thing, even if that thing is insignificant. But for me, it's like everything can stop, The, the, the planes can land, the trains can stop, They can stop doing any sort of business, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange. All the wheels come to halt on the interstate because Chad needs to find his glasses. Where did he put his glasses? 
I can't see them. Where are they? Like that literally, like for me, my whole world stops whenever I, I lose something or I misplace something because then it just gets entrenched in my mind like my world stops until I can find that thing. You know, life can be hard. And sometimes we just, we may be looking for peace within our own relationships or peace in our own self or peace with God. A provision from God. Maybe praying that, that we would be able to have children. Praying that, that we would be able to be generous enough to support maybe another ministry. And the thing that you seek is the thing that you're going to find. If you're seeking for those things and you're going to the Lord in prayer for those things, God's going to reveal some, some of the deeper truths to you along the way. Your expectancy is going to, it's going to rise. Faith begets faith. And true faith is rendered out in faithfulness. So the thing that we seek for is the thing that we're going to find. So a question this morning is, what is it that you seek in your life? Maybe bring that to the Lord after the sermon's come to a close or uh, in a moment when we sing our last song together, what is really in the depths of your heart, what is it that you seek? And is that about you or is that about God? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 11, he said, give us today our daily bread. Talking about the model prayer, give us today our daily bread. Notice that Jesus didn't say, give us today our daily task. He said, give us our daily bread. The model prayer being, God, give us, give us the thing that we need for today. God, we're trusting you. We're believing in faith that you're going to give us the thing that we need today. God, I'm fully expecting you are going to provide for me everything I need today. I'm not going to look for tomorrow. I'm not going to look for 10 years out. I'm not going to look for my five-year plan. I'm not looking for my whatever my next business model is going to be if I'm like a serial entrepreneur instead. Those things are all great and wonderful. But first, Lord, we're going we're gonna to come to you and we're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to ask with simplicity and we're going to seek with intensity. But yet in the middle of that, we're also just going to reside day by day expecting God, you to provide for us what we need. But what about the thing that we pray for that doesn't come with an answer right now? Priscilla Shire calls that fervent prayer. And she says, fervent prayer keeps your true identity in focus. The word fervent can be translated into intense. We can be intense people about the right thing. We can be intense people when, when somebody provokes us on social media. We can be intense. We can all of a sudden go from zero to 10, just like that, just, just hits the right button to go from zero to 10 and no time flat when somebody provokes us on social media. We can become intense about that. We can be intense about our hobbies. We can be intense about a college that we're going to. We can be intense about the college team or the professional team that we root for. We can be intense about 
patriotism. We can be intense about politics. But the invitation is for you to be intense about prayer. For you to be intense about prayer. There's a great example of this in the scriptures. It's in 1 Kings 18. I'll give you just a a little bit of the storyline. The main biblical character is Elijah. And it's just this epic showdown between Elijah and 450 prophets, the prophets of Baal. What's really neat about this is it's so kind of playful and yet Elijah is just like putting his finger, like God's finger in the chest of all these 450 prophets. And there's this amazing showdown. Elijah is the only prophet of God. That's what the scripture says at the time. He's the only prophet of the Lord. 1 Kings 18 verse 22. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. And the showdown goes as this. They're trying to see who the real God is. So Elijah, he says this, he says, you can call on the name of your God, small g, and I will call on the name of the Lord, all caps. The the God who answers by fire, he is God, is what Elijah says. The prophets went first, they prepared the bull to be offered, and they they went at it and they they were seeking, uh, you know, the, the prophets of Baal and in all their, of their false gods, they were just going at it for hours and hours and hours. And the reason why it's playful is we know about something that happens at noontime. Elijah, after, after the 450 prophets of Baal that were cutting themselves, it was a practice, it was occultic, they were starting to cut themselves. They thought that, you know, if they cut themselves in the shedding of blood, they would be able to uh, have more power from, quote unquote, their divine And they're shouting louder and louder and louder. And then Elijah just kind of playfully steps in about noon. And he says, well, you'll have to shout a little louder. He's like, for surely he's a God. He's mocking him at this point. And he says, well, perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he's he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So he kind of steps in says this in a playful way, kind of messing with them. Sarcastic, really. He steps back. Scripture says, verse 29, 1 Kings 18, there was no response, no one cared, and nothing happened. It was Elijah's turn. I've started many fires, campfires in my day, And the way that this fire was started is never a way that you'd be told about how to start a fire. Elijah, he decides it's his turn. The other 450 prophets of Baal, they back away and just in shame because nothing happened. There was no fire that did not consume the altar. Elijah steps up and he puts up 12 stones to create the altar from the 12 tribes of Israel. He digs a trench around that. He puts the offering and the wood in the middle of that. And then he does something that's really odd. If you've ever been into survival things like me, he pours water on it over the whole thing three different times. After that, he prays this prayer. This is a direct quote. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And the response we see in verse 38, look at your screen. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. That is seeking with intensity. That is a man of holy expectancy that God was going to show up in an amazing way. Do you know what James says about Elijah? James 5, 17 says this, Elijah was a man just like us. Huh. Just like us. What could that mean? That could mean that he was, well, indeed, just like us. Some of the same failings as us. We're actually going to see this next week. Some of the same failings as us. Same need for a walk with God like us. The same portal to heaven through prayer like us. He was just like us. But he was seeking the Lord with intensity. I'm going to end the talk with the last point from Jesus' sermon In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, and I'll end with this, knock with persistency. If you were to come to my house, let's say 2 o'clock this afternoon, and if I were home, and you were to knock on my door, I would come right to the door. Fast forward 12 hours, if you were to come knock on my door at 2 o'clock in the morning, I love you, but it better be a good reason. Right? And you better be knocking loud because if you don't knock loud, I'm not going to hear that knock over the fan. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. Because I'm like, I'm in some good sleep at two o'clock in the morning. I'm sure of it because I never remember two o'clock in the morning. So I'm assuming and I'm just, I'm rolling at that point. I want you to know that God never sleeps, God never slumbers, He's never too distracted to hear your prayer. But even with that, we knock with persistency. If you have been praying about a thing and God has not answered in the way that you expected, maybe God's not answered at all, keep knocking, keep trusting, keep believing, keep praying, keep singing, keep listening, keep shouting, keep journaling, keep meditating, keep reading. Stay in community. Keep coming to church. Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. Keep that expectancy alive. Keep knocking. God, I don't know what you're doing here. Keep knocking. God, where are you here? Keep knocking. As long as you have breath, you have the ability to keep knocking. And I believe that that we have a good heavenly father who invites us to keep knocking, knowing that even in in praying and we, we ask with simplicity that God wants our whole heart 
that he's way too real not to, to connect with him in reality. He wants us to seek with intensity, but he, knock, he wants us to knock with persistency. Don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're so in awe and enamored by your glory and by your invitations, by your nearness, by your persistency. And Lord, we we revel in the reality of a life connected with you. Not for our own glory and self-seeking, but for your glory. So Jesus, as we transition to take the Lord's table and as also as we just sing this song and declaration back to you. God, we, we ask that you continue to speak to our hearts. The message and spoken words for now are over. But the words that you, that you utter to our minds and our hearts will continue. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Amen.